So we're reading from the book of Mark, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, and then 13 through 20. And it's uh, subtitled, The Parable of the Sower. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he had got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in the parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path, where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and then they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and of the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Check, check. Hi, um, my name's Matt. As I was hearing about Kurt's ailment with the twitching eye, I was thinking of um, when a diabetic has an attack, don't you rush and give them something with a bit of sugar? I thought maybe I should be rushing up with a piece of bacon for Kurt to help him with his twitching eye. Um, yeah, so as I said, my name's Matt Lang. Um, don't you find usually an experienced preacher is always kind of, they're doing something, adjusting the, the stand here and kind of shuffling their pa papers as they're introducing themselves. It just I always thought it looked so cool, but I don't really know what they're doing, so I'm just kind of faking it right now. Um, my name is Matt Lang. I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill. My wife, Lorley, and I have been attending here for about 10 years. We started attending just before the birth of our first child, Lucy. We have Jack and Bennett, and you'll see them terrorizing the congregation at some point today. Um, it's a great privilege to be sharing God's Word with you today. Um, it's something I'm going to need help with, so why don't we just start. Would you please join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Bible. Um, I thank you that so often in the Bible we have direct quotes from you, Jesus, that provide us with so much wisdom and insight that we can apply to our lives. I pray that my words today would be from your agenda, not my own, uh, and I pray that you would make our hearts soft and recept receptive to what your message is for us today. Amen. Okay. So, the passage that we're looking, to do, uh, looking at today, that Dave just read for you, uh, many of you have probably heard it many times. As I studied it, it was one that I had heard quite a few times, uh, having gone to church for a number of years. 
But as I studied it, I realized there was something about it that had always made me kind of uneasy, and I couldn't quite place my finger on what it was. And looking at it closer, I realized is it, is that it always caused me to wonder, what kind of soil am I planted in? Because at times I feel like, I wonder, are my roots deep enough? Are the thorns too close to me? Um, so it made me wonder, do I have the type of heart that makes for a strong and productive faith, or do I have a heart that's easily discouraged and distracted from my faith? Do I have a faith that is vulnerable? In studying the parable closer, I realized, I think that those are the questions that Jesus wants us to be asking, to be doing an assessment of what kind of faith we have so that we can strengthen our faith going forward. Um, and also, it, along with those doubts as to what kind of faith I have, what kind of ground I'm planted in, it made me wonder, if I am in that shallow, rocky ground, is that where I'm stuck? Has my seed fallen where it will fall, and is there nothing I can do about it? I think that Jesus' message to us today is not a fatalistic one saying, look, if you landed on hard ground, you're stuck there, that's, that's how it is, you're not going to have faith. Nor is he saying, if you landed in good soil, you can now just put your feet back and relax, because good for you, you, you won the lottery, you landed in that good soil where your faith is strong. He's saying, this is a parable that is meant as a word of warning to us as Christians about the pitfalls that can derail our faith, and also, it's meant as a loving warning to non-believers to consider faith in Jesus before it's too late, before, their, before that seed falls on hard ground and is either blown away or, or eaten up by birds. Um, so by the way, as a, this is a total side note. don't know if it's even worth spending time on, but in reading and studying this parable, I realized I have a very nerdy love of metaphors. I don't know what it is. It's just something that I enjoy, like stretching them out and trying to apply them as far as I can, stretching them until they nearly burst. So bear with me because there may be some, quite a few uh, gardening and farming metaphors as we go. You might get tired of it, but hopefully they'll make sense. Before we launch into our first point, I just want to briefly recap the, the parable because I think it's really important that we have an understanding of it. I think a lot of you probably do. Um, but thankfully the disciples were like me, they were dense and they didn't get it at first, so Jesus recapped it for them. So we were given a really good explanation of what he meant by this parable. So God is the sower, he's spreading the seeds, and the type of ground, and the seeds represent us and our souls. The type of ground that the seed lands on represents the type of heart that we have. The hard ground represents a hard heart which does not accept faith at all. Uh, does not have a chance to take root. The rocky ground represents a receptive but fickle heart, one that starts in faith really eagerly and then is withered away by the sun and the challenges that come with faith. And then there's the seed that's sown among the thorns, and those thorns are, represent the distractions of the world, uh, temptation, sinfulness, and they can choke, up, choke out our faith. And then, of course, there's the faith sown on good soil, which is where we want to be. That's the faith that takes root, grows to maturity, bears good fruit, and that's where we want to be. So, why is Jesus telling us this story? What is his message for us today? We know that he's a God of transformational salvation. He can make a hard heart soft. Um, so I think he has a message that's applicable for all of us today, and saved or not. And that brings us to point one, which is the message for non-Christians, open your ears. And what I mean by that and what I think Jesus is saying here is consider Jesus. Soften your heart to Jesus. Soften your heart to considering God, considering creation, considering faith in Jesus. In verse 9, Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. 
And if your ears are closed today, if your heart is hard towards God, towards Jesus, towards the Bible, then the rest of this parable and sermon might not mean all that much to you. So I just encourage you to open your ears, soften your hearts, and give Jesus a chance. Consider him. Hear him out. Now this next illustration, it's, you're going to really wonder how I'm going to bring this around to faith and ears and gardening, but it's uh, about Gilmore Girls. Has anyone here ever watched the television show Gilmore Girls? Should be a picture of it. Okay, we've got a few. With apologies and all due respect to those that watch it and like it, it is the worst show ever. I can't stand it. It drives me crazy. Uh, it might be my least favorite show on television, and that's saying something because there's some really bad shows on television. My wife loves it, though. She thinks it's an awesome show, and she enjoys watching it. And what she'll always point out to me when I'm critical of the show is that I have never watched an episode of it. I've never so much as watched a scene. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what uh, the message of the show is, what they're doing. I have no idea because I've never watched it. And yet I'm very opinionated about it. Um, so she's always quick to point out, how can you have an opinion on this if you haven't even watched it? And am I in a position to make uh, an educated, educated assessment of whether this is a good television show or not? I have to admit, I'm not. I've never watched it. All I've heard is the nattering in the background while Orly is watching it. But here's the thing. Um, if I were to sit down and watch it, I might find that I actually like it. Or I might find I don't like it. Maybe I would still think it's terrible. But then I'd at least be in a position to have an informed opinion about it. Now, if... Now, maybe you see where I'm going with this. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe the Bible, Jesus, God, parables like this have always just been kind of that nattering in the background, and you've dismissed it as stuff that's for strange religious people. It's for the uneducated. It's for the uninformed. It's just silliness that, that isn't for me, and you've dismissed it without considering it. But how can you do, make an informed decision on what you think of Christianity and Jesus and God without having ever heard it out? So that's what I'm encouraging you to do, to do today, is to hear it out. And unlike, thankfully, there's some very significant differences between my opinion of Gilmore Girls and faith in Jesus. Uh, and one of them that's most important today is that, does it matter if I have an educated opinion on Gilmore Girls? No, it doesn't. it's not of ultimate importance at all. Thankfully, I can go on without ever having watched it, and I'm very thankful for that. But... When it comes to matters of faith, when it comes to faith in Jesus, uh, when it comes to what we think about creation, what we think about where the universe came from, what we think about, is there a creator God? If so, does he care about me? Is there a savior? Who is Jesus? Those are matters of ultimate importance. You need to have considered those before your time on this earth is, is done, unlike with Gilmore Girls. So let me encourage you to consider those things. Um... And give them, give them a fair chance. In the book of Romans, uh, Paul writes that, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you're not opening up your ears and softening your heart, you could never come to faith. And if you don't believe in the Bible and you don't have faith, maybe that, that verse means nothing to you. But I'm just encouraging you to give it a chance. I have faith that Jesus is powerful enough that if you hear him out, you'll find that there's something to him, and he could make a miraculous change in you. Um, to wrap the, oh, and by the way, who Jesus said he was, was that he was uh, the Savior. He came to die for our sins. He's somebody that needs to be reckoned with. To wrap this point up, I just want to emphasize also that the reason why Jesus wants us to hear him out is because he knows better than anyone that the stakes are so high. Um, 
if that seed falls on hard ground and the birds snatch it up and take it away or the wind blows it away, where does it go? It goes away from that good soil, which is faith in Jesus, which is a relationship with Jesus, and sometimes never to return. So this is not the fire and brimstone part of the sermon, but there's a reason why the Bible uses so much fire and brimstone imagery to describe what it would be like to spend eternity away from Jesus. The Bible says that all good things in this world come from Jesus. A lifetime away from Jesus would be devoid of any hope, of any joy, of any love, of any peace. Uh, It's probably worse than any fire and brimstone imagery could do justice to because it would be the ultimate torture to be away from Jesus. It would be all the bad things that would be left in this world. So don't don't leave, don't let your time on this earth expire without having considered Jesus. Because the, the counterside to that is that faith in Jesus is, is uh, full of love and full of peace and full, full of joy, and eternity with him would be greater than anything we can imagine. So please, consider Jesus. Moving on to point two, which is a message to Christians, and that is, check your soil. So again, why is Jesus telling us this? If it's, if it's just to say your seed has landed where it's landed and there's nothing, there's really nothing that you can do to, to, to change that, then, then there's no real kind of call for action there. But thankfully, with Jesus' help, we can actually influence our ability to flourish or to fail in our faith. And of course, we need Jesus in that. Um, so Jesus wants us to look at the soil around us. Are we on rocky ground? If we are, that's good for us to know. Do our, do, are our roots very shallow? We need to know that. Are there thorns growing all around us? We need to be aware of that. Um, so, so first let's address those, that, those of us that feel like we might be on the rocky ground, the roots, the roots that aren't deep. Um, we've all known somebody like that for sure that started great in their faith. They sprout up right away. And then as soon as the first challenge comes, as soon as the sun starts to scorch, they wither and their faith dies. Uh, And maybe we've even felt like that person at times when the challenges come. We feel like, oh man, is my faith built to endure this? So let's talk about that. What can we do to prepare for those types of challenges that might come, to make it so that we won't wither under that type of uh, scorching sun? So point A is, push your roots down deep so you're ready when the sun scorches. And of course, we're talking about spiritual roots here, right? So what can we do to push our roots deep and establish ourselves? Well, we can be like a weed, a spiritual weed. Because if you go to my house right now in my yard, all the beautiful plants look very brown. They look dead. Maybe they'll come back next year, but they're not looking good. But the weeds, I was just out there yesterday, they are green. They look the exact same as they do in the summer when the sun is scorching on them. They don't care. They just endure it all. They're built to last. So in a spiritual sense, uh, it's good to be like a weed. I remember when I was a teenager... Um, people would often say to me, Matt, you're growing like a weed. And it kind of hit too close to home because at the time I looked a little bit like a dandelion, like the very skinny stalk and then a mop of shaggy hair on top. I think there's a picture that kind of shows a little bit what it looked like. Yeah, a bit like that. I didn't have a duck bill and I wasn't green and brown, but it was pretty close. So anyway, years and years of therapy later, I'm over it. But it's not always favorable to be compared to a weed. People generally don't like weeds, but in a spiritual sense, for the purposes of this illustration, we need to be like a weed. We need to get those roots down deep quickly. We need to establish ourselves. And there's a couple key ways we can do that. First, we need to draw close to God in prayer. Um, Later on, and we talked about the book of Romans, Paul writes later on in Romans, he's talking about the marks of a true Christian. 
And one of the things he says is rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So Paul is really straight up about how much we need to pray. And that's constantly. So does that mean that we need to be walking around our workplace, praying out loud? Maybe it does. Maybe we could all benefit from that type of boldness. But chances are our coworkers would think we're starting to lose it, right, if we're talking to ourselves in their eyes all day long. But what we know it does mean is we need to have a constant, ongoing dialogue with God throughout our day where we're thanking him for all the blessings that we're seeing in our lives, where we're asking him for help with all the challenges that we're seeing in our lives. Maybe there's a big decision to be made at work or at home that day. You can be, you can be conversing with God uh, inside of your soul, inside of your mind throughout the day, and he will give you wisdom and insight in that decision. He'll give you a sense of peace through prayer. Um, he will help you so much. And that is such a great way to get those roots down deep because that's establishing that relationship with God. The second way that we can establish our roots deeply is through reading our Bible. Um, oh, lost my spot here. Yeah, we need to read our Bible. In Psalm 119.105, this is a verse some will know, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. So in a dark world that can be hard to navigate, the Bible is like a spiritual light showing us where to go. So for a Christian to not be reading their Bible, it's the equivalent of me going down into my basement in the pitch dark, and it's like a minefield of Legos and little toys, and I'm trying to walk around in the dark, and of course those Legos are like heat seekers for the littlest bones and nerves in your foot, and they're just trying to break them all in half. I'm in terrible pain. And then somebody walks up to me and says, hey, would you like a flashlight? And I go, no, I'm actually good. I'm quite enjoying this walk through the Lego minefield. No, of course, I'm going to be like, please give me that flashlight. I need it. This is going to save me from stepping on these, these, uh, these Legos. And, and it's the same way with the, with the Bible. We're trying to navigate a life that's pretty hard to navigate at times. In a world that can be quite dark, the Bible gives us that light to, shine the, to, to show us the way. So we need to be reading it as much as we can. I know for me personally, it's like night and day. When I read my Bible, I have such a, such a greater sense of peace. I'm so much more likely to resist temptations of sin. My mental health is better. Uh, it helps me in so many ways. And then the opposite, if I'm not reading my Bible regularly, I notice the opposite things. Uh, I start to do poorly in all of those areas. I encourage you to read your Bible. And if you, maybe you have tried reading your Bible before and you just find like it's gibberish because it's from a different time it's written a long time ago and maybe you just find it so hard to understand what's being said i encourage you to try to get a modern translation that helps we always use use the english standard version here but there's quite a few translations of the bible you can buy them in a store or get them online also there's the U version bible app we don't we're not associated with that app but it's a really great app it's free it has all the translations of the bible for free you can read, read your Bible on your phone or Android or whatever device you, you have. And uh, it also has Bible reading plans. It can take you through the entire Bible. And it has devotion plans. And a devotion, if you haven't read one before, is just like a small verse or chapter from the Bible. And then there's an accompanying write-up by like a pastor or a Christian theologian who's taking that verse and applying it to, the, to your life. And uh, there'll be different themes and things available. It's a really great way to get into the daily habit of reading the Bible. It takes maybe sometimes five minutes, sometimes 20 minutes. It's not a long thing, but it's a really great way to establish that daily habit of reading God's Word. And I encourage you to check it out. So that's the Version Bible app. It's a plug for the Bible, not really for the app, but the app is a good place to find the Bible. Um, in Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verse 8, this is another one that uses some uh, plant imagery, so I thought it was a good one. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
But the word of our God will stand forever. So if, if you're trying to navigate life and you're grasping on to other things that you think might be solid and might be able to support you and guide you, all those things will wither and fade except for God and his word, which will endure forever. So we need to commit that to our souls and to our minds. Um, so it's, I encourage you to establish that daily habit. Root ourselves in the Lord through Bible reading. The next point, this is subpoint B. We need to prune, prune your garden so the thorns don't choke you. So a Christian, you might be cruising around in your faith, cruising along in your faith, and on the outside it looks like you're the model Christian. But if you're letting temptations and sin and distractions of this world distract you uh, or get, get in too close to you, your faith is in real da- danger of being uh, choked out. There's a picture kind of that illustrates what it's like to be a Christian who all looks good from the outside. Oh, maybe, it's, maybe it's not there. But if you're, if you're amid the thorns and you're saying this is fine, then you're wrong because the thorns are a real threat to your faith. Um, in the book of James, he explains the risks associated with temptation and sin. And he says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So, um, the Bible makes really clear over and over that there's usually a, there's sin with an arrow pointing straight to death. And sometimes that means physical death, but it always means spiritual death. The more we dwell in sin, the more it leads in one direction, and that's towards a spiritual death. So we, we need to take it seriously when we see that there's thorns all around us. We need to do an assessment. What are the sins that we don't want to keep outside of our arm's reach? If, if I'm an alcoholic and I keep my liquor cabinet full of alcohol, then I'm, I'm playing with fire with that. If, if uh, I have a problem with lust, but I'm constantly watching movies and TV shows that are really sexual in nature, that's, that's a temptation that I'm keeping all too close. So what are those temptations that we keep inside of our arm's reach for that moment of weakness when, when, we, when we really want to dwell in sin? What are the distractions that we make a higher priority than Jesus in our lives? Maybe it's sports, maybe it's... Sports came to mind, that's probably because that would be for me. But what's that distraction that you make a higher priority than Jesus in, our li- in your life? We need to do an honest assessment of those things because otherwise our faith is in danger of being choked out by those thorns. Um, so we need to prune that area. The number three note here is participate with God in the gardening. So Jesus, we know that he doesn't need our help. We know that God doesn't need our help. He's an all-powerful God. But he invites us to to help and participate in bringing people to faith in him and to helping nourish the the faith of a new Christian. There's a couple ways that we can do this. If you're a Christian whose faith is established in good soil, what can you do to help the faith of a new Christian? Well, first, we need to be honest when we're presenting Christianity to somebody who's, who's new to faith. If we present it, some, some churches nowadays present the health and wealth uh, gospel, which basically tells people that once you become a Christian, everything's going to be sunshine and roses. You're going to be rich, you're going to have perfect health, and we just know that's, that's just not true. That's not how it works. The Bible says it's not how it works. So we need to be honest with them that you could, you could expect to see some persecution when you become a Christian. You may lose, a, you may lose friends because they don't like that you're a Christian. You may um, be estranged from family members. You could be mocked at work. You will, it, it is challenging being a new Christian 
to endure through challenge or through the different uh, trials that come up early in your faith and throughout your faith. We need to be honest about that. But of course, we also need to offset that by telling them it's all worth it because faith in Jesus brings an ultimate set, sense of purpose and joy and uh, satisfaction to our lives. There's that joy of knowing that you're saved, but also the peace, the extra peace and uh, purpose that comes on this earth. So we need to be telling them, yes, there's going to be challenges that come. You can expect those. You, you should be ready for those, but it's all worth it because of Jesus. So that's the first thing we can do. Um, the second thing that we can do is a big part of our role in supporting new Christians is our steady, reliable example and our prayerfulness for them. So to illustrate, during the, uh, the dirty 30s, here's an, here comes another uh, farming analogy, uh, during the dirty 30s, during the Depression, there was a big problem of farmers not being able to establish good crops. And a big part of that was because there was, not, there was a lack of good fertile soil. That was partly because there was a lack of rain and also because there was too much wind. So the, the topsoil would dry up and then the wind would kick in and blow it away. And then all that would be left would be hard, rocky ground. Ground that was not, uh, did not work for having seeds take root. So uh, what was the solution? Well, more rain definitely helped, but clever farmers also improved their own odds of success by utilizing windbreaks, which I think, yeah, so you guys have seen this, you probably know more about this stuff than I do, but it's basically where a farmer plants rows of bigger, more established, more mature trees to protect the newer plants and the soil from the wind. Um, So, Hopefully this is not stretching this metaphor too far, but how can a mature Christian help to make the soil more fertile to encourage the spiritual growth of new Christians? By making sure that we are spiritually mature and solid as a congregation. We can be like a big row of mature uh, mature in faith plants alongside those new Christians, helping to uh, protect them and, and prayerfully uh, protect them. And I'll give you one example, though I could list many others. I find comfort in knowing if I'm going through a challenging time, I've got a big established tree like Renair here. And I mean a big tree in a spiritual sense. Because this is a man who's deeply rooted in Christ. right? If I'm going through a challenge, I know that he and the other mature Christians in the congregation are praying for me. If the congregation needs trouble, and indeed at all times, they're praying for the congregation. If there's new Christians that have just come to faith, they're praying for those people. And there's a comfort in that. And also, if you're a new Christian, it's comforting to look up and go, this, is, this, this person was at one time a new Christian as well. They were a small plant. And they endured those challenges that came. And look at them now. They, there's a lot I see there that I admire. Somebody who is established in the faith, and I see things that I want to emulate, and it's a good example. So us being established, mature Christians alongside new Christians we can do a lot to improve their, their chances through prayer and through our example. Uh, we can do a lot to improve their chances of growing in their faith. So, uh, point B, the next thing that we can do to participate in the gardening process is we can sow as many seeds as possible. And again, God doesn't need our help with this. We picture in this parable, we picture Jesus as the one casting the seeds along, the, along in, into the soil. But he actually allows us to do that as well. It's uh, Jesus' last words to his disciples. It was the Great Commission. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So as we touched on earlier, uh, we can't, I, I, I can't, we can't force somebody to come to faith. If they have a hard heart, if their ears are closed, uh, and it's a true tragedy, if you approach somebody you know and you say, hey, I'd like to tell you about Jesus, and they say, no, it's not for me, I, no interest, I, they totally reject it. That's a real tragedy, we know, because the stakes are so high. But w- wouldn't the greater tragedy be if Jesus has entrusted me with a satchel of seeds, and I just let them all stay in that bag before my time on this earth is done. I don't ever even cast them out. That's, that would represent somebody who never got to hear about Jesus, never got the chance to receive Jesus. Um, so we need to be praying for opportunities to share our faith with our neighbors, our friends and family, our, our co-workers. We also need to be praying that when that opportunity comes, God would make us bold and he would give us wisdom to share with them. And then we need to uh, pray that their heart, hearts would be softened so that they could receive that, that, uh, that faith, that seed could take root. Um, and the other thing we need to do, partly because it's just the right thing to do, but uh, also in order to lay the groundwork for being able to share our faith, we need to be showing people Christ's love. <clears throat> so if I'm the coworker who is known to be the laziest coworker, uh, I'm never reliable, I'm always bad-mouthing people, I'm treating people poorly, and then I come up and I say, hey, would you like to know about my faith in Jesus? They'll be like, uh, no, I don't want anything to do with anything that you believe in. But if I'm, if I'm a, a, a good coworker, if I'm reliable, I'm hardworking, I treat people well, same thing with in my family, in my, if I'm a good neighbor, the, the neighbor that everyone wants to have, and then that time does come up and I say, hey, I'd like to share my faith with you. They might say, hey, you know what, I respect you and I'm willing to hear you out. So it could be, that could be the difference in somebody coming to faith is if you've shown them that love th- throughout your relationship with them. So we need to be thinking in that way. Um, so with the start of the new year, let's let this be a time where we can take an honest assessment of where we're at. It's a perfect time to take a new assessment of where we're at. Are our roots not firmly established? It's very comfortable here in uh, the lower mainland. Many of us live a life that doesn't have as much trial as some areas in the world. And maybe we've we've used that as, uh, we've never had our the depth of our roots tested because of that. Well, let's get those roots down deep. Let's pray. Let's read, read the Bible. And if you're not a Christian, let this be the time. It's the start of a new year. Let this be the time that you truly give Jesus a chance. Who was he? What did he say? What did he do? Um, was he who he said he was? And if you need any help considering those things, please, uh, if you want to debate or argue, I, I'm totally fine talking about any concern that you might have with faith in Christian in Jesus, and same would go for Jesus or for Jesus, for Kurt and for Bill and Danny. We'd all be happy to talk to you about Jesus, and there's no question that's that's out of bounds. If you've got a real concern or something you're wondering about about Jesus, about Christianity, so I encourage you all to do an assessment of where you're at in your faith. Uh, with that, this is the time that we, this is the time that we now do our communion and uh, offering time. So communion is a great chance to also uh, kind of assess where you're at with Jesus, pray to him. And with that, I'll give it over to the band and the servers.